0: Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple, Word, Spirit, Justice, Witness. Today I want to talk with you about the idea of a no-barrier church, which is something that we at Tierra Nueva are describing ourselves as. Um, Many of the people that are involved in our ministry are either still in active addiction or in some stage of their recovery process. And in both cases, people are accustomed to dealing with barriers to receiving or keeping their housing and other services, parental rights and employment. And people also assume barriers are keeping them as outsiders from church and even separated from God. Perceived barriers blocking access to God and church must be deliberately identified and torn down. And this is so urgent right now. You know, um, this this concept that sin separates us from God has gone deep into our culture. And so many people on the streets just assume that's the the case. And because uh, of their lifestyles and their past, they often assume that they're not welcomed in churches. However, in the recovery movement, that's true as well. You know, common barriers to social services that people normally could have access to um, you know, like housing, subsidized housing and, um, you know, other benefits, you know, being able to stay in a shelter, conclude things like being in active addiction, their criminal records, not having government-issued ID or legal immigration status, mental health issues, criminal history, active criminal warrants, partners that are not in active recovery, or perhaps they have a pet, and, um, you know, so they're not welcomed into you know, housing because uh, their pet's not welcomed or, you know, or maybe they have a lot of possessions that, that they're wheeling around in carts as homeless people and so they're not welcomed into shelters because, you know, because there's no place for all those possessions and people don't want to abandon them, their things. Anyway, many people who attend Tiernueva have themselves been through, you know, all of these, uh, you know, all of these barriers and have to face them and, and and find their way through them, and uh, often have been blocked by them, you know, by the society, and they've been through detox, they've been through inpatient, residential, and outpatient treatment programs, sometimes many, many times, and some come who are enrolled in Skagit County's alternative alternative sentencing program called Drug Court, which is actually a great program, you know, people who have committed crimes that are nonviolent offenses that involve um, that are related to their drug addiction, they can apply for this and uh, they have to uh, plead guilty to some of the charges, you know, that whatever charges their public defender have negotiated that they that they plead guilty to. And then um, instead of doing the time, that time is, is, you know, they're given a certain sentence, but that um, sentence is hanging over their heads while they're in drug court. So if they don't comply, with drug court, then they have to go to prison. So it's like a hammer over their heads. And it can be a really effective incentive for people to, you know, like really work on their recovery if they're ready for it. So drug court participants um, are required to attend meetings hosted by CA, you know, Cocaine Anonymous, NA, Narcotics Anonymous, or AA, Alcoholics Anonymous. And then they are uh, subjected to random UAs. They have to be ready to receive a text at any time to go and do a UA at a, at a, the facility that deals with drug court and um, and if they if their urinalysis shows that they're not clean, then they um, often are given time in jail or um, depending on on the level of their relapse they may, may they may be sent they may go and do their time in prison. So um, anyway, relapsing or failing to meet drug court requirements, um, you know, can also lead to court mandated treatment, which would be maybe one of the better options. Or if they are kicked out of the program, that means like, I mean, that's really serious and and their whole lives are thrown into disarray because they've got to do a bunch of time. Anyway, um, churches are often viewed as even higher barrier places than, um, you know, than homeless shelters and, you know, and uh, staying in drug court. Um, and people assume that uh, that they're going to be excluded, you know, from the church for all kinds of reasons. Like, and we are seeing at Tierra Nueva the urgency of deliberately presenting ourselves as a no-barrier church. And, uh, and we do that through seeking to welcome vulnerable people in our community, those who are marked by rejection. People um, that come, you know, that are on the streets that we invite to our church, or just people that are at large in our society, usually assume that they're going to be judged and outright rejected if they open up and they reveal their true lives to people in a church. And their natural inclination is to avoid church altogether. And um, But their default is to self-protect, hiding their true selves, their past histories, and their current life situation. You know, single moms, for instance, they would expect rejection um, for bringing their out-of-control kids. Others would assume that church people would exclude them for being an unmarried couple, or for smelling like weed, or for being a smoker or a vapor, or living in their car or on the street, or using profanity or frequenting casinos or struggling with a mental health disorder or being ignorant or unsure about the christian faith or not knowing the bible or or being overweight or having active warrants or certain tattoos or having children in foster care or having had abortions or their gang affiliation or undocumented status or or so many other things being a sex offender for sure and um these prejudices are regularly reinforced by the media who remind people of the culture wars that are happening between the left and the right in north america and around the world um, that and these the media often highlights how that many professed christians have positions against abortion against uh, LGBTQ people um, against gay marriage you know tough on crime um, anti-immigrant or pro-border wall that kind of thing and so, you know, lots of people they hear that and you know, and they they maybe assume that all Christians are like that, because that's the bad press that the Christians are getting. And sadly, people's general perception of Christians as moralistic, legalistic, and hypocritical is continually being reinforced by the actual behavior of Christians and and by the media. And um A friend of mine who had spent over 25 years in prison recently texted me his view of church. Quote, he says, "Um, if you task me with finding a good person in a million, but I could only hunt at churches or prison, I would choose prison because no one pretends to be good there. In fact, people exaggerate their badness in prison and in church, everyone presents as if they're on the path. I just find true convicts more honorable than rank and file Christians. And that certainly is true in their leadership. Unquote. And what a tragic assessment! And um, when I read that at our Tierra Church this last Sunday, everyone in our congregation—they were just nodding their heads and, yeah, I mean that's how they see it. Um, so you know, um, this whole language of of no a barrier, you know, low barrier is. A term that is being used now in um, homeless shelters and you know uh, different different circles that are trying to meet the needs of some of the fentanyl addicts that are out in our um, community right now that are that are these younger people who are addicts. You know, a low barrier shelter would be a place that would allow people to come in who don't have ID or who are still actively using or who have a pet or who have, you know, a partner who is also using. And um, it's great that there are low-barrier places because that is um, allowing many people to access services who in the past they would have been excluded um, and maybe are still excluded by certain, you know, certain organizations, certain shelters, I guess. Um, and um, and then just the idea of a high-barrier setting, um, you know, there, there are um uh, places, you know, like uh, like inpatient treatment centers or you know households that help uh, that house people and provide support for people in recovery uh, to kind of continue to go through their uh, program and work on relapse pre- prevention. Um, you know that um, these kind of places they need to have rules um, you know, they need to make sure that people aren't using, because if one person begins to use in a house, you know, that can throw off the whole, everyone else who's, who's really working hard in their recovery. So places that require um, random UAs, you know, and, um, and that, and that really, um, have strict rules. And that would mean people who are using would have to leave the house. You know, those places are needed. And I'm not, I'm certainly not against that. I think the problem comes when, um, you know, when when the church is is viewed as a high barrier kind of place, which it often is, or when um, recovery movements are uh, are directly associated with a church, and um, you know, for years Tierra Nueva had New Earth Recovery as as part of it. I mean, New Earth Recovery is a, just a beautiful ministry of. Uh, that provides housing and a whole program that uses what's called the Genesis process to help people um, who have been through inpatient treatment, you know, just kind of maintain their sobriety and, and continue forward in their recovery, you know, through uh, learning skills t- to identify when they could relapse. And and it's a faith-based organization. And anyway, they were part of Tierra Nueva, but one of the difficulties that I saw was um, – that if, um, if people's housing is contingent upon them being in compliance, you know, with, you know, with the recovery, uh, with the rules that are a natural and important kind of rules for, you know, for an inpatient facility, then, um, you know, it's, um, it's really, that's at odds with, you know, with the pastoral role, of being able to um, hear people's confessions and talk with them about their, uh, you know, their, their struggles and maybe their, um, their relapsing that that's going on. Like if I'm the head, if I'm a pastor, who's running an inpatient treatment facility, it's not in people's interest to tell me the truth about their situation. They're going to want to hide that if um, telling the truth is going to mean they're going to be, you know, they're going to have to leave the facility. And if I'm a you know if I'm a pastoral worker in a church that you know that has um, a recovery movement, maybe I'm not you know the head of that movement or even directly associated you know uh, with it. But am I to keep that information from my colleague who's you know running the clean and sober house? You know, um, it's like just the whole question of pastoral discretion. You know, when people confess. Um, what they're really going through—it's—it's it's critical for pastoral people to maintain confidentiality and, and just anyway, just mixing um, recovery and and you know faith formation discipleship is you know creates a lot of problems and um, and so we're, we've seen the need to kind of separate those two and for recovery programs to be um, their own thing. And for churches to be places that, um, that are safe for people who, you know, who maybe are not in active recovery, who, you know, who, have, who are using and who are, um, you know, but still they need to be pastored and they need a place of safety for themselves. And even though their presence as active, you know, users of drugs might jeopardize people who are, who are you know, who are still maintaining their sobriety, their, their clean status. Um, I mean, that's a reality. That's one of the problems that we have with our church. Some have said, you know, Wave is not a recovery church, you know, because um, there are people that come in there smelling like weed, you know, or there are people actively, you know, using different drugs, and that can trigger uh, someone who's in the recovery process. And so, you know, people have been, some people have, have, have criticized us in that way, but our idea, our thought is that, no, we need to be um, a safe place for um, people that are kind of um, entering, entering into into a, a process of you know discipleship and of conversion, and which we hope and pray will eventually lead to their sobriety and their you know their living um, in active um, recovery, you know, working on their drug addiction, and you know, and so I guess that's a choice that we've made is to is to be a no barrier church. Rather than um, even a low barrier church, a low barrier church would be that we'd still have barriers that would be clearly stated like like a a local low barrier um, you know facility that's um, that's a recovery cafe that just started in our community. They require that people are twenty four hours clean in order to come into their facility. Now we would never do that because um, that would exclude a lot of people and and one of the things that we wouldn't want is um, we wouldn't want people to, you know, if we declare ourselves too much on the side of recovery, then people who are actively using or who have relapsed aren't going to feel um, safe to share with us that their true status, that maybe they are using and they're and they're not clean anymore. And we want um, people to to experience. Um, they want that. We want them to know that that we're safe to come to and to be. Um, Naked and unashamed, so to speak, um, free to you know to tell us what's up. We don't want people hiding, um, you know, or pretending. We want an environment of transparency and authenticity in our church. So, um, in order for us to have that, we need to model that ourselves. We need to model transparency and authenticity, and we need to overtly welcome people um, who are coming in off the streets, who are going to be expecting us to be. Um, you know, a high barrier church or perhaps, uh, you know, a recovery, overly recovery, recovery friendly place that is, you know, too invested in people's recovery. So just another um, little point about that, like if I'm super supportive of recovery, if I'm just like clapping for everybody that's got their, you know, two week clean and sober date or one year clean and sober date, if we're overly highlighting that, then that's going to cause those that are not there to, um, I mean, some could say that would make them feel maybe motivated to move in that direction. But in many ways, by us choosing to side too much with recovery, we we run the risk of people, um, you know, knowing that they're going to be, we're going to be disappointed if they come and they tell us, oh, they've, they've relapsed yet again. And we don't want people not coming uh, to church anymore because they've relapsed. We want them to feel like, Church is a place they can run to and and they can they'll be welcome to, regardless of their you know of their whatever whether they're quote unquote clean or 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 not clean. And um of course, you know all of Jesus's teachings about you know, just embracing those that were unclean, you know, touching the lepers. Um, you know it, it, you know we think about those those texts and how Jesus was breaking those rules left and right in his day. And the equivalent of those sorts of rules definitely are um, are visible in our recovery culture. Anyway, um, so people coming in off the streets into our ministry or any church, they need positive, respectful eye contact from people who express authentic, non-judgmental presence. I mean, that is so critical. Um, Barriers that block people from access to church. Must be deliberately confronted um, through establishing a culture of welcome to people just as they are, and we need to be able to state that, like right from the front, uh, you know, like welcoming people at the door or even outside the door in the parking lot, or just as we see them coming from a distance, um, speaking welcome um, to them, um, you know, in in different ways, from the front and um, at the back creating an environment of no judgment that is consistent from start to finish. And, um, remembering also that when we reward, um, compliant sort of behavior, you know, when we celebrate publicly, like people, uh, quitting weed or, or whatever it might be, the risk is, is that we're dissing other people that aren't, you know, that aren't at that place yet. And we don't want to do that. We want, um, we want there to be, a we want our our church to be an environment of, you know, um, of just being of openness and honesty. So this means not identifying too overtly with typical recovery culture and even overtly sometimes disassociating from its legalism um, without, though, condemning the need for higher barriers uh, when people um, need them so that they can be protected when they're in recovery. So so we're not, um, you know, we're not condemning the need for that, but we're not associating ourselves from the legalism, which is often um, very present and sometimes needed. So anyway, we, in contrast, announce Jesus as Savior of the world, friend of sinners, pursuer of the forsaken and the lost, forgiver of our sins seventy times seven, canceler of our debts. Uh, the one who qualifies the disqualified, you know, we um we work really hard at trying to communicate this, and you know, a, a powerful scripture that um we were just going over in the park today with a group of people, and most of whom were from drug court, is um Romans chapter 8, such a beautiful text, and um, you know, where it says, um you know, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who also intercedes for us? So he's not going to be condemning us. He's the one who intercedes for us. He's our celestial defender. We say to people, um, in contrast to the you know the county public defender, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Who will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? You know. Um, I was telling the story today of uh, how one time in the jail I was I was with this Filipina woman who um, I was reading this scripture to and when I got to the word nakedness I was like in a visitor booth with her she'd requested a visit from a pastor when I got to the word nakedness um, and, um, you know, saying you know, what can separatism and love of God none of these things, you know n- uh, nakedness, and she said nakedness? And she looked really surprised. And I said, yes, I mean, nakedness doesn't separate us from the love of God. And she began to cry. And and I said, well, why is that touching you? And she says, well, I'm a topless dancer. And I was like, oh, wow, it's amazing. Like, wow, talk about um, an unexpected embrace of this text, you know, um, personalization of this text. I would have never expected that. And I went and told Gracie, my wife afterwards, and she was like, oh, but that's not what Paul was talking about. And but then the very next day I, I went in and visited another guy. And this was like a guy that I would have called a redneck, which I I don't use that language anymore. But back then I would have said he was kind of this um, upriver guy who was uh, autoglass. Um, you know, he he replaced autoglass and you know he he was just, he was a guy that was in there for a really serious charge and I was meeting with him and I had read the same text to him, and when I got to this, uh, you know, will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness separate us from the love of God? He said, nakedness doesn't separate us from the love of God? And I was like, no, um, why is that um, important to you? And he goes, well, you know that that, um, nudist beach up on Chuckanut Drive? and I was like, "Yes, I mean, I've heard of this Nudist Beach, which is sort of on the coast between where we live in Bellingham and on the Pacific, um, you know, the on the Bay, Bellingham Bay. Um, there's a place that people go. It's a Nudist Beach." And I said, "Yeah, I know about that beach." He goes, "Well, that's a place I regularly go." And but you know, so he's confessing this as something that he was embarrassed about and assumed that it was it was it was bad in God's eyes and. And so he says, so nakedness doesn't separate you from the love of God. And I was like, no. And then um, Gracie was really really moved by that when when it was two times in a row from two completely different people. But like um, this scripture is is really announcing that no barrier love, isn't it? And this is our main concern is that we want people to experience the love of God with no barriers. So verse 37, but in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing, um, that could be a barrier, right, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So there you have it, a no-barrier God um, you know um, so Jesus you know is um, is really embodying this and his the way he operated in the Gospels you know clearly shows us the way forward for how we need to be church um, so just on another note um, you know um, when people come into our church some of the other barriers that need to be brought down are um, have to do with our language. You know, we at to carefully think about the language that we use in our worship songs, in our teaching, in our prayers, our preaching, our liturgy, so that it can be understandable to people who may have little formal education and um, often little to no religious culture. So most of our people haven't grown up in the church, so they don't know a lot of, of the lingo. You know, often people are completely unfamiliar with church culture and so they won't understand a lot of the language, um, you know, including talk of lions and lambs, blood, um, the cross even like everything has to be explained. And, and we assume that most everything um, needs to be de- to be taught about and, and described and explained um, always without any condescension with examples that people from the streets, people that don't come from a religious culture, or an educated background can identify with. The messaging about God must continually express God's unconditional, no-barrier love most visible in Jesus, which we must receive ourselves through the Holy Spirit. That love, we must receive it over and over and over again ourselves, right? Because otherwise we can't give away what we haven't received. And this same no-barrier love um, can then be embodied by the body of Christ, you know, and so our our faith community needs to be a place that is receiving, um, you know, everyone from, the, from its leadership, its pastors, to the least of these in the community um, need to be receiving it so that our community can radiate that love to everyone that walks in the door and to the larger community, to the world. Um, so, no barrier church doesn't mean that we promote a boundaryless, anything goes, free for all space. Like um, we are committed to to really keeping, creating, and, and maintaining a safe, nurturing environment um, that we want to cultivate and continually guard uh, with the attention given to protecting people from anything predatory, especially the most vulnerable people, like children. So, like we're all about. Um, making sure that our our people that watch our kids have FBI background checks and, you know, and are trained and, um, and that we have, you know, a couple of people who are there all the time. And it's not just one person watching the kids that, you know, if there is anyone with any kind of sex offender status, those people have to be watched uh, by a dedicated person. You know, we're, um, when it came to COVID, we were really committed to wearing masks and to uh, respecting the protocols for keeping people safe. A lot of our people were really, really vulnerable. They were, you know, they had weaknesses due to their years of addiction and um, diabetes and just different conditions. And so, you know, we, um, we, we're we a place that is committed to people's health and we, we, so we talk about that. And we also are very careful to address legalism when it arises. like. We work to rein in hyper spiritual language that maybe people in our community might use, thinking that it's the right way to talk, thinking that it's going to please us, or that it's it's truly spiritual, or manifestations that people um, have, like you know, just using a lot of you know language like "Oh Father God," "Oh Father God," "Oh Father God," or "Glory to God," "Glory to God," or "Hallelujah," or Language that is religious language that can scare or alienate people um, who are, you know, who are new new to anything Christian. And um, so we are careful about not shaming anyone who's coming in like that with that religious language. But we must creatively and continually restate the liberating message um, over and over again that God qualifies us and saves us by grace. Um, even as we attempt to embody the gospel um, through our practices you know through our demeanor and through the way we treat people. Um, and so another question comes comes up when we think about you know just the social aspect of our church like giving out handouts for instance like one of the real dangers of churches that um, that are about um, you know providing, you know, like assistance to people is that, you know, that um, people who receive assistance from a church, um, if they're part of the street culture or the prison culture, they're going to immediately feel um, a sense of indebtedness. Like, okay, I owe you now. Like in the prison system, there's no gift that's not um, charged with all kinds of obligation to reciprocate. And um, so when a church gives things out, there's a tremendous danger. That that's going to put people in there um, in an indebted state, and so we've been really careful to 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 avoid that. And this is where there's a need for sometimes separating um, our church from you know from being a social service type agency, that kind of thing. Like we used to be, all of those things at Tilden Nueva. We you know we had a really active family support center. We still run that to some extent, but less. And but you know as soon as you give out anything. You know, you, people, people might be coming and trying to, you know, trying to please us in order to stay on the dole, so to speak. And we do not want that. We want authentic, um, you know, people coming because they really want to be there. And there's even a danger when we're um, a place that signs off um, on people who, you know, who need to have meetings. Like we can qualify as a meeting for people that are required to go to so many 12-step groups. So if we're not, we, we want to be really careful that people aren't coming just to be able to, um, you know, get through a checklist of, of obligations, and we want them there because they really want to be there. And but if they are coming for that reason, we we try to just serve them as well. Or people that need to do community service hours, um, you know, it's it's handy for them if they can do that do the, do their hours at Tierra Nueva. But you know we. We we have to be really careful the way we finesse that because we don't want them to feel like we're using them in any way, and uh, yet we also want to have integrity in requiring that that they do the hours that you know we're signing off on. So it's a tricky balance there where we want to comply and serve people, but we don't we don't want you know to them to be in our debt, um, and we don't want them to be there just because they're you know, they're, they're jumping through a hoop. And, um, and that's the danger of recovery movements too that require that people attend a church on Sundays. Like if they're coming because they're, they're, you know, they're meeting a requirement, then we're part of that, you know, higher barrier system. And, and we don't want that. Anyway, so one of the ways that we deal with this also is that we end every Sunday with an open table communion service before we sit down together for soup or a potluck. And um, the way we do that is after gathering in a big circle, um, somebody leads us in through a printed liturgy, which includes this um, question and beautiful response that everyone everyone speaks out. So the leader will say, who is invited to this table? And the people are invited to all speak this out. All are invited and welcome to this table, regardless of who we are where we have come from, or how we have been living our lives. God invites us here just as we are. God's love for us is so strong that God became one of us so that when we put our trust in Jesus, we are rescued from the rule of darkness and enter into his abundant life, even now and forever. So the basis for our open table is Jesus himself, when he celebrated the Passover with his disciples on the night of his arrest, you know, he was there, um, giving, um, sharing the bread. You know, his body and his blood with, um, with even Judas, who um, who was he knew was going to betray him, and Peter, who he knew was going to deny him three times, and the other disciples that all ran and abandoned him, and um, and so Jesus gave his body and blood to them, and gives his body and blood to us. Um, knowing that we're not qualified and that we're not compliant. And so to create a bunch of hoops that people have to go through to, to partake in the Lord's Supper to us just seems, uh, doesn't make sense. And we want to bring down the barriers so that people can uh, receive the best of what um, Jesus has to offer, which is his very self that we need as medicine, as nourishment, as. Um, the best alternative to our drug of choice, whatever that might be, or our, you know, substance or addiction or idol, you know, we need Jesus himself. And so why would we withhold that by making people jump through hoops for it? So, um, no barrier church is most easy lead, uh, embodied when we take the church to the streets and, um, you know I've mentioned this in other podcasts that um, Jesus isn't known for having started any kind of a, of a church where, they, where he hosted people in his, in a space. you know rather Jesus practiced what he preached when he sent out the disciples in Paris to be guests in people's homes, right uh, he sent them out in um in a vulnerable status without money, without sandals, without extra clothes. Um, they were to go and they were to stay with the people who would receive them, the people of peace. And they would speak the peace over those people and stay in those homes and eat what was served them and pray for the sick in those homes and announce the kingdom of God has come close to you. And that's how the gospel was um, embodied. That's how the church first started um, in homes, in fields. And for us, it would that would include... The same places, you know, homes, fields, homeless encampments, jails, prisons, the workplaces of our communities. Um, Jesus Himself embodied God's movements towards people, you know, wherever they were, on the roads, beside the sea, in the villages, in homes, synagogues, public gathering places, the temple, in the company of the sinners, the tax collectors of His time. You know, Jesus compares Himself to a shepherd who seeks after lost sheep until he finds them and places them on his shoulders and celebrates their return with friends and family, friends and neighbors. And and so there's no barriers, really, when we're the ones that are going out there. The barriers would be on the part of the people who might not receive us, right? Like, you know, Matthew 25, that's all about um, people not receiving the missionaries. You know, um, when I was hungry, you you didn't give me any food. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me anything to drink. You know, when I was... um, Persecuted for um, the sake of righteousness, like as a as a Jesus follower, you know you didn't visit me in prison, like um, you know Jesus um, really in Matthew twenty five is um, is really articulating the judgment against those that don't welcome the missionaries uh, who are putting up the barriers. So the barriers come from the you know the the potential beneficiaries who are not receiving the missionaries. Not from the missionaries themselves, um, because um, the missionaries are embodying the no barrier gospel, aren't they? And um, this is what I think we need to recover, and this needs to be a major feature of what church looks like: is shifting things around so that we're not, um, you know, we're not doing that, you know, we're not putting up boundaries that, um, you know, that really make it hard for people to, you know, become active disciples. You know, Jesus um, says, you know, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So as you go, you know, make disciples, not as you sit in your church waiting for people to come in in, and be hosted by you. But as you go, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all these things that I've commanded you. And lo, I will be with you. I'll be with you as you go. And, um, and so I believe that we need to recover that that as the as the front line of what it means to be a no barrier church is a church that is uh, on legs, you know, walking, um, received going as guests and and being welcomed um, into spaces, you know whether that's a corner um, or an alcove, you know, where people are doing drugs or a prisons uh, you know pod, wherever it might be you know, um, you know uh, somewhere in the marketplace where we work. Um, as disciples of the Good Shepherd Jesus, you know, we seek to do this through regular outreach on the streets. You know, we, we've we been going out on Friday nights and offering hot chocolate and a cup of soups. And, you know, um, all through the winter, we were doing that to people that are, just, you know, out there smoking fentanyl and who are homeless. And, you know, now we're doing Bible studies um, on Friday nights in public parks, and um and we're visiting people in the in their homes. You know, being emissaries of a no barrier God is a vocation that the Holy Spirit is continually renewing and inspiring us into, leading us outside, outside the camp, across the lines of difference, to the highways and the byways of our communities, you know, uh, where we welcome people to come inside into communities of inclusion. And, and certainly people need community, which is why you know we need places of worship. We need places that we can celebrate the Lord's Supper and, and baptisms and welcome people in and have trainings and, um, and preach the gospel and take communion and everything. So um, may God bless you as you uh, seek to embody um, His no-barrier, Uh, unconditional love.